following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. As the fourth and fifth graders are taking off, if you want to grab your Bible or electronic device that has a Bible on it, we're going to be in Matthew today. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're at, slowly working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. For the next two weeks, we're going to be in Sermon on the Mount, and uh, then we're moving into 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter. I will let you guys know that my parents are here today. So if you have any complaints about me and you would like to just have some sympathy, um, you just find them in the front row and they will be nodding their head and agreeing with you and being like, we know, we've been praying, we'll continue to pray for you and your congregation. Uh, Just kidding. I love them. Kind of kidding. I don't know. It'd be great. Whatever. You do do what you want to do. If the spirit leads, don't let me interfere. Um, man, uh, but we are glad that they're here with us today. Matthew chapter 7, as I was studying for this passage of scripture, I came across an article that I thought was interesting. There was a pastor um, who is in a third world country and he was selling holy pens. Not even kidding, can't make this stuff up. Holy pens. He was pitching to his congregation. He said that these are holy pens and he told the students of the congregation, if you have one of these holy pens, it will help you to get better grades. If you are in college, high school, junior high, or lower, there's an orange pen in front of you, and that will not help you get better grades, all right? You have to do the work, and you have to study. But this guy, he essentially said, the more money you spend on that pen, the better you'll do in school. So they were anywhere from a dollar to like $20, and you guys are probably looking at me thinking, man, we steal pens from here all the time. And we know that you do. We're fully aware of that, okay? We understand And they're a free gift like your salvation, but don't take them for granted. All right. He had people come up to him and say, I would love to give testimony about your pens. As a matter of fact, one mom popped up and she said, well, yeah, absolutely. You know what? My son, he's not the sharpest crayon in the crayon box or the brightest color. Maybe this would help him. And sure enough, she said, she said, I think he's doing better since he has one of these holy pens. Some people in this world just fell down and bumped their head. Amen? A high school student even came up, and these are actual written testimonies. These are on the internet, and everything that you read on the internet is true. And they said, uh, this student said, you know what, I've been using this pen for three whole years, and I keep getting straight A's. And I thought to myself, this is absurd. This is totally ridiculous. But there were people in the comment section even that said, These pens really are from God. They have the anointing on them. And I thought to myself, the internet is broken. Jesus says that people like this will come. Way back in Matthew chapter 7, if you look at that first uh, verse in chapter uh, 7, verse 15 through 20 is what we're going to be looking at today. He talks about this. He talks about false teachers. He talks about false prophets. And he says, listen, as believers, you're going to have to be on guard against these people. There's going to be people who come into your life and they're going to say, I have a message from God for you. And when they do that, you should be extremely concerned. Because Jesus says, 
I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. My word is what matters. And so there's ways, Jesus says, that we are able to discern and tell the difference between the good and the bad, or what I would say, the godly and the ungodly. Jesus says that you have the ability to discern what is right from what is wrong. It is within you if you have accepted him as Savior, as Messiah. You have the ability to tell. That's the whole point of today. But before we go any further, let me ask God's blessing upon his word and uh, pray that he would be clear as we talk through this today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth and the fact that it is truth. We know that so many people uh, claim to have messages from you And here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, you walk us through the two tests that we can know for sure that they're either from you or not from you. And I pray that we would evaluate and we would examine and that we would see if these things hold weight and not just accept things because they're in front of our eyes. That we would really truly test as you tell us to do, to examine to make sure that you are speaking and not something else. We ask for your protection and for, your, um, for you to be a guard against hypocrisy and that the word of God would be the only truth that we need. It would be the foundation for our life and that you would be Lord of our life and that you would constantly help us to make God-honoring decisions in all that we think, say, and do. That we wouldn't be self-serving but we would be sanctified and set apart for the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. We pray for clarity today and again for application as we see so many things in our society. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, Matthew chapter seven. Let's look at verse 15. Beware, love that, beware. Beware of what? Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And then he's going to give a couple of illustrations here. He's going to say, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 19. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus, he concludes what he already said in verse 15. You will be able to recognize them, the false prophets, the false teachers, the false messages from God by their fruits. So let's see if we can get into this a little bit and lay a foundation first and foremost. The one thing that we need to know before we go any further in the text is it says beware. Beware of what? Beware of the false prophets. Prophets. Circle that word beware in your Bible, if it is your Bible, and see that this is a command for the disciples. The disciples, those who are gathered at Jesus' feet, his, his 12 that he loved, and then we see the disciples who left everything to follow Christ. So he talks now specifically to those who have accepted him as Messiah, going to accept him as Messiah, thinking about accepting him as Messiah, and tells him that If you are going to be my disciple, you are going to have to constantly be in a continual state of readiness, being able to respond appropriately to those people who ask you why you do what you do. He says you are going to have to be ready for people who inquire about why you participate in the things you participate, because remember, this is in context. 
This is chapter 5, chapter 6, and now chapter 7. This is a culmination of Jesus' first sermon. And he says to us that you shouldn't forget the things that I already said. You should make sure that you're applying the things that I already said. So these in context are, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to be in a state of readiness to be able to respond appropriately to those who are on the outside of the faith. Now, Paul tells a young Timothy who's about to pastor a church in 1 Timothy chapter um, 6 that he says, when you respond, you are able to have the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the ability to teach according to godliness. So, if you have this defense ready, you'll be able to give somebody sound teaching, sound words, sound wisdom that won't be your own. They will be from the Lord. Where do we get that from? Our Bible. Now, this is only for those who have surrendered their hearts and their lives to the Lord. Because it says in the Bible, the old has gone and the new has come. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's number one for you today is to embrace a relationship with Jesus. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. There's a little blue bookmark in the front of your pew. It says, may I ask you a question? You start evaluating that and you start really seeing, have I ever confessed that I'm a sinner and believed in Jesus Christ as Savior? Is he Lord over my life? Does he have full access to everything that makes me me? Is it his way or is it my way? Now, many of us who are gathered here today, we have a relationship with Jesus. And so the old has come and the new, uh, the, or the old has gone and the new has come. So we are on guard and ready to defend, keep going with the text, against false prophets. Well, what are those? Defined, those are people who pretend to have messages from God, but aren't. They are people who say they proclaim God's word, but don't really. This is every person on social media who takes God's word out of context. Drives me crazy. They'll post a specific passage of scripture, and what they want to do is they want to justify themselves because they posted that instead of really dig to see why it says those things. Multiple Old Testament, New Testament passages speak about this. Let's jump to the Old Testament. You don't have to turn here. But in Deuteronomy chapter 13, the people were told by Moses, beware of these individuals. Now, in the Old Testament, they were those who had the ability to interpret dreams. People always thought that their dreams meant something. And so they would go to people and they would talk to them and they would say, hey, I had a dream last night. What does it mean? And so they would tell them what the dream meant. Now, that society was just completely saturated in idolatry. And so as that society would do, it would point those people back to foreign gods. And it would say, well, you should worship this god and then you'll have the ability to not only understand that, but you'll be able to live that out. And Moses says in verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1, do not worship any other gods, gods that you have not known. You should worship the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must serve the Lord alone. You must fear the Lord alone. You must obey his commandments alone. You must listen to his voice. Now, Jeremiah kicks in, and he says that false prophets are those who speak lies and talk of foolishness. And in the Old Testament, if we found somebody who spoke foolishness and lies, you get to stone them. So you bring them forward and you say, this person is a liar. And you start chucking stones at them until they're dead. Now, we would think in the New Testament, this carries out, right? We would think in the New Testament that this starts to happen in Jesus' time period. But in the New Testament, it's kind of interesting. People started to formulate themselves to what they knew was false, Luke chapter 6, verse 26, it says, The secular world started to praise the false prophets. 
Paul specifically met a false prophet who was popular named Bar-Jesus, who was a Jewish sorcerer, now ready for this, came from the brotherhood in the book of Acts. Came from the congregation. Isn't it amazing to think that there's somebody who's in our beloved congregation who might not be of God? It could happen. And we need to note here, in Matthew chapter 7, but also in Mark chapter 13, false prophets are not in regards to a specific group of people. So what we do when we approach the text is we instantaneously think they're talking about the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes, or in our congregation today, you're thinking about those who are Buddhists or uh, the secular people or the New Age people or whatever. No, this is anyone, Jesus says, anyone who claims to have a message from God and is not of the Lord. Many, Jesus says, false prophets, groups, and individuals will arise and lead many astray. Peter connects the Old Testament to the New Testament when he says this. As there were also false prophets in Israel, there will be false teachers among you. What will they do? They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. They will deny the master Jesus Christ, and they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. John would echo what Peter says in John, 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, my beloved, I want you to understand and know, don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them, key word there, to see if the Spirit that they have comes from God. Because there are many false prophets, false messengers, false teachers in this world. Okay, so how do we figure this out, right? Now, here's the crazy thing. Of all the sermons that I heard and listened to on this specific passage of Scripture, guys go all over the place. And they go to all these other verses and they give you all these other things. But they don't talk about it in context what Jesus brings up. Jesus gives two specific ways or two specific tests in order to find out if somebody's really truly from God. First one is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, you can test these people by their actions by what they do. People are sneaky and they will come in sheep's clothing. The actual word there is in sheep's garments. Now circle that word sheep. This is interesting. I love this. In the Bible, sheep are all throughout the Bible. They're one of four things, okay? Sheep can be first and foremost sacrificial animals in the Old Testament. They would slaughter these sheep so that the blood would be a temporary sacrifice for the people's sins. All right, we know that in Numbers uh, chapter 28, Exodus 29. Jesus, number two, is called a sacrificial lamb. He is not a temporary sacrifice. He is a permanent sacrifice. He is a propitiation, proper sacrifice for our sin. He's called the lamb of God. Third thing that we see in the Bible in regards to sheep is their source of income. So all throughout the Bible, you'll see that there are shepherds that had flocks, and that's how they made money. They sheared the sheep or they gave the sheep uh, away. They sold them in order to be slaughtered. And here, in context, we realize that sheep are symbolically representing the people of God. Matthew 25 talks about this, where he says, Before him will be gathered all the nations, speaking of the end times, and Jesus will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, why would God call me a sheep? I don't look like a sheep. I don't think I look like a sheep. I don't know if I talk like a sheep. I didn't even know sheep talk until I started watching cartoons. But he calls us sheep for, four, for three reasons. Number one, sheep are the few animals or one of the few animals without a defense system. They are defenseless. We know that sheep are essentially useless without a shepherd. No wonder Jesus would call us sheep because we wander around and we run into things, right? You need a shepherd. You need a gate. 
Some of us, what he just said, amen. We got to be careful with that, okay? No elbowing in community gospel this morning. Number two, they're notorious for following a leader. Not only do sheep need a shepherd because they're defenseless, they're notorious for following somebody, anybody, and they'll pick up off of somebody or anybody. And so sheep are talked about all over in the Bible in regards to God's people because Jesus knows that we are in danger of doing foolish things if we don't have the proper shepherd. Third thing, they're prone to wander. Even though they have a leader, they're prone to wander. So they need to be disciplined. Sheep's only chance of survival is with a proper flock underneath the proper care of a proper shepherd. And so when we see somebody whose actions kind of don't resonate with what we know to be true about the Bible, our kind of uh, senses go off and we start having some of these red flags, who do we go to? Well, we go to the shepherd because Jesus is our shepherd and we say, hey, I don't think this person's a part of the flock. Now, the key word in verse 15 is inwardly. You could circle that if you want. And that word means by the way they really truly are. That while they look like us, they don't act like us because they're in sheep's clothing. Now, how do I know when somebody doesn't act like us? Okay, I'll give you two signs of somebody who is in sheep's clothing. One, and this is the test in their actions, okay? First thing is that they only want their own profit. They only want something because it brings them monetary gain. So, if you hear a pastor say, I'm only in it for the money, okay, he's probably not biblically sound, all right? You don't jump into the ministry for money, correct, Dad? Okay, thanks for the amen, all right? <clears throat> Number two, we realize that they're in it for themselves, okay? So when we uh, see or hear somebody uh, doing something in their actions that's contradictory, contradictory to God, we would say that they, are they doing that for themselves or are they doing that for their Savior? Now remember, you have to talk about this passage in context. And what did we just talk about last week? The golden rule. Unselfishly loving people expecting nothing in return. True love is seeking the other person's best, not expecting something in return. So if a person is just in it for their own monetary profit and their own personal profit, then Maybe, just maybe, they're not from God. Now, we also know that this is always at the flock's expense. We, all, we know that this is always at the flock's expense. How do we know that? Because Jesus uses the word ravenous. If you go all the way back in the Old Testament, we know that one of the sons of um, Israel is a ravenous wolf. And what does that word ravenous mean? That means he's wild, he's violent, he's greedy, He's waiting to consume. And so be careful because what we know to be true about these people in their actions is not just are they looking for their own personal benefit, but they're telling you that the ways of Jesus Christ is easy. When somebody looks at me and says, following Jesus is easy, I immediately say, false. How do I know? Look at the passage in context. Jesus says, take the narrow road and the narrow gate. And Jesus doesn't lie to us. He looks at us and he says, yeah, following me is going to be kind of difficult. He looks at his 12 disciples and says, guess what? You're going to die for this. Well, 10 of them. But he is transparent with them. Now, you know this to be true because you've fallen for the trap of things, correct? Some of you are a little bit older than I am. And uh, you, know, you remember late night infomercials? Remember those? 
Or you found yourself up at like two o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden somebody's selling like an air fryer and you think to yourself, I need that in my life. I gotta have that, right? Because they tell you that this is gonna change your life for the best and you think to yourself, that's gonna change my life for the best. And you call because you have to be the first of 10 callers, amen? Because if you're not the first of 10, then you don't get two for the price of one. Now, those of us who are younger, we don't understand this, okay? Because you don't know the pain and agony of getting up off the couch and going to change the channel, all right? Because mom and dad used to look at us and say, hey, change that channel. Are you serious? And you sit back down, let's change it again. I don't want to watch that either. We, in this generation, um, are victims of the algorithm. Do you know what the algorithm is? The algorithm is this. You sit down on your computers and you start searching something that you want. So you think to yourself, I need an air fryer, right? And all of a sudden, you're on your social media feed and you see all these ads for, guess what? An air fryer. And you think to yourself, that's clever. How do they know that I want an air fryer? It's because the internet is inherently evil and it's from the devil and we're participating in this plan. That's another sermon for another day. But you buy it, and then it comes to your house in that awkward, creepy van, and it's placed upon your doorstep, and you open it, and you open up that package, and you start popping all that uh, material, and you realize the box is 17 sizes too large for the product inside of it. And you say to yourself, and you bring it out, and you plug it in, and it doesn't work, and you're completely disappointed because you bought into the lie. Now, we can laugh because we've all been there before. Right? And we run to Amazon and we uh, market one star and we're like, this thing was a piece of garbage. And when in reality we realize that there's 7,000 people that said this thing was a piece of garbage and you never read the reviews. Same happens in our relationship with Jesus. Same thing. We are so quick to take people's opinions and not weigh them against Scripture. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Is he, they're like, listen, people are saying things to you and they're presenting ideas and theologies to you and you're buying into them. It's like when you're having marriage problems and somebody in the world walks up to you and says, you know what, you should just leave them. That's not of God. It's like when somebody uh, comes up to you and you're struggling at work and they're like, just get a new job. Maybe God wants to keep you at that job so that you can participate in conforming more to his will. I mean, we don't just get rid of our kids, right? Some of you are like, wait, hold on a second. It makes us uncomfortable, but what we realize is that Jesus says in words and actions, they're always going to be of me according to my word and what it says. This is why he wants you in, in the word. So we recognize wolves in sheep clothing, first of all, by watching actions and making sure that we're not giving into it, making sure they're not self-motivated, but they're Christ-centered, and making sure that they are real in regards to what Jesus really tells us. And Jesus continues. He doesn't quit here. Watch this. He says, not only are people going to do something, but I want you to watch their outcomes too. So the second test that we have is in regards to people's outcomes. First test, actions. See how people act. Second test is outcomes, which is very, very parallel to the first one. Now he says here, he says, recognize. And that word recognize in the text in verse uh, 16 means to come to know or to perceive. Okay? This is to perceive fruit by its outcome, about what transpires. We are impatient people. Essentially what Jesus is saying here is be patient, okay? And see if this manifests itself as something that it's of me. Now, just as the Bible talks about sheep, it also talks about fruit. 
So circle that word fruit there. Fruit's an interesting word. It's a typical metaphor in the Bible, and it talks about two things. It talks about somebody's character and their conduct. Character and their conduct. I was trying to explain integrity to my youngest the other day. And uh, basically what I told her was, I said, integrity is just this. It's who you are when nobody else is around. And that reveals your character. If you do the right thing, although nobody else is around, that proves that you have character. Now, your conduct means that you're going to stand up for those things. Now, spiritual fruit, again, can only grow out of a regenerated heart, okay? If you're doing things for yourself, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're off because you have to have some sort of connection to Christ, and we know that's through salvation, in order to produce proper fruit. Now, here in the actual Greek, fruit is not singular, but it's more in a reference to action. So you could rephrase that, and it would say by their first fruit or by their deeds or by what manifests itself, what is made known from their actions, i.e. outcomes. You will know false prophet teachers' messages, if they are of God or not, by what happens in the outcomes, be patient to look and watch and see what transpires. Karen, you have an air fryer? Yeah. Where'd you get it at? Amazon? Is it, is it good air fryer? No, it's junk. Okay, well, guess what? I'm not buying that air fryer, right? Okay, I was waiting and I was patient. I don't care about one day delivery, all right? Just back up a second. Jesus illustrates this. Look, in the text, verse 16, are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? By no means, right? That's, that's, that's ridiculous, but it's not ridiculous to the audience that's sitting there. Why? That's their primary cash crop, all right? If we look at grapes and figs, those are the two agricultural products of Israel. That would be the same thing as Jesus says, corn and beans, right? Those are our two uh, products that we get, the agricultural products of our community. What Jesus is saying here is outcomes from actions come from what a person is connected to. Just like trees are recognized for the fruit that they produce, false or insincere prophets and teachers are recognized by the things that they do. That's verse 20. Now keep following here with me. Healthy trees, good fruit. Unhealthy trees, bad fruit. It cannot be any other way. Now I want to reword, okay, the rest of that passage to help you a little bit. Because Jesus essentially goes from A to B and then he goes back to A and it's kind of a little bit confusing. So just for study purposes, uh, we're going to rephrase what he says. And what he says here is, every healthy tree bears good fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. The diseased tree bears bad fruit, and it cannot bear good fruit. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So Jesus says, whatever you're connected to reveals if you'll produce or have an outcome of good fruit. John will say it like this in chapter 15. Remain in me. In other words, remain in relationship with me, connected to me, and I, Jesus says, will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and so you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much good fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is going to be thrown away like a useless branch. It will wither and it will die, and such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. So what is Jesus saying? Watch the outcome. 
He's saying, watch these false teachers, these messages, these things that come into your eyesight, these things that come into your proximity that are not connected to sanctification, being like Jesus, but are more selfish. So how do I discern good fruit? Good question, all right? Discerning good fruit and discerning bad fruit. Let's talk about discerning good fruit. 17a, first part, 18a, first part of that verse. The word healthy means to have a desirable, positive quality for something specific. So, what Jesus is saying here is godliness. If you want to be a godly person, you have to be attached to the source, which is Christ. And a person of good fruit means that person bears fruit, has godly character, godly conduct. They are like Jesus. Where do we get that from? It is talked about and outlined in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where it says the fruit of the Spirit. Now, not fruits of the Spirit. Don't get that confused. It is one fruit. In other words, you are desiring to have all of these qualities. There are things like love, joy, unselfish love, joy, not happiness, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we're not saying that these people are perfect in this. We're saying they're pursuing it. So if somebody comes at me with a message and they say, hey, this is, a, this is what I think God wants you to do, the things that I'm looking at in character and conduct are in their life, do I see unselfish love? Do I see joy even in trials and tribulations? Do I see peace? Do I see that they're patient in doing things that need to be done? Do I see that they're kind, good, faithful, gentle? Do they have self-control? Seeing where and why a person populates is also critical here too as well. So if you have somebody who comes up to you and says, hey, I think this is what God is saying. I think this is what God is all about. And they're populating places that are not of God, then it causes us to be concerned. Discerning good fruit means that one stays firmly connected to Christ to remain spiritually productive in obtaining spiritual maturity. It is when somebody comes up to you and says, what does God's word say? But what does the Bible say? Have you prayed about this? Can I pray with you for this? Can we go seek counsel about this with other believers? Can we talk to individuals who also love the Lord? Can we patiently approach what needs to be done? Can I speak to you in a way that might wound you for a season, but it will help you? later on down the road. That's good fruit. The opposite of that is bad fruit. And that word is diseased there. Unsound, not good in its condition, decaying. It is one who is without Christ. It is one who is diseased. And that person, an individual, I think, who are the doubters who are gathered there, are extremely concerned because what they know is that Jesus is saying, you will be cast into eternity without me. You'll go into the lake of fire. You are destined for hell without me because you are self-serving, not Christ-serving. John will say this, John the Baptist, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, the axe is lying at the root of the tree and every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's like your Christmas tree, Right? I didn't see one person replant their Christmas tree this year. Not one. They throw it out in the, uh, in the front yard because it's useless. It has no root system. So it is with the messages that come that are not of God. Jesus is speaking about bad trees, those who practice 
deliberate disobedience. It is the people who come up to you in your life and say, do what you want to do. Do what feels good to you. You only have one life. You might as well use it. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23 next week, so i got to be careful in expanding on that. But Jesus says, examine the outcomes of these individuals. Question everything and everyone, and if they do not point back to God, his son Jesus, the gospel, and his word and his will, then you have to ask yourself, is it really from God? Now, I'm going to give you, essentially, I don't want to call it a five-step plan because it's not a five-step plan. I'm just going to give you an observation from the fruit aisle at Woody's, okay? Because I love the fruit aisle at Woody's. I love the fruit aisle no matter where I'm at, all right? I was never really a candy kid. I just never really liked candy. Mom would look at me and she would say, Jordan, are you hungry? You want a snack? And I'd be like, yeah. She's like, what do you want? And I'd be like, I want an apple or I want a banana covered in peanut butter or I want watermelon. I can eat a whole watermelon by myself. It's a bad decision, but I do it, Okay. <laughs> And when I'm in the fruit aisle, this passage just really comes to light. Okay, I'm going to give you five things to know if it's good fruit or bad fruit. All right, five things. Just five things. Think about it just, just, just for a minute. Number one, the first thing is I could tell if a fruit's real or plastic. The other day I was at the Mean Bean. I was talking to Kim Wilcox. Um, fine establishment. You should go there. A little plug. You're welcome. Um, expect lunch to be free next time I'm there. <laughs> And uh, I was sitting on her freezer, and we were just having a conversation, and I picked up a pumpkin. And this is the most plastic pumpkin I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And I said, look at this pumpkin. Now, here's the crazy thing. In case you didn't know it was plastic, when you flip it over, it says decor pumpkin, right? So there are some people out there who would mistake something that is plastic between something that is real, just letting you know, all right? Sometimes it looks real. But for the most part, we're going to assume that we're all very educated individuals and we can realize what is plastic from what is real, okay? I just knew that pumpkin was plastic. There's nothing worse than somebody who is apparently fake. If somebody's selling you a holy pen, run. All right, if somebody's looking at you and say, hey, this pen will give you good grades, that's false. Every teacher in here knows that it's not the pen, it's the student, okay? And some of those things are just so apparently clear. There's just things that we look at and we realize that good fruit is not plastic, bad fruit is plastic. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 says, men are false apostles, devious, deceitful workers. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. I can just see it, I can smell it a mile away right? It's the people who you'll find a lot of times on the Christian channel when you got nothing else to watch, and you're looking at it, and you're just like, I think to myself, how did you get on TV? How is this happening? And Bethany's like, Jordan, stop yelling at the TV. And I don't yell at the news. I yell at bad preachers on TV, okay? Because they're plastic. They just look fake, and they got tons of makeup on too. All right, I got to keep going. Number two, when I go to the fruit aisle, all right, what I realize about good fruit is it's bright. You ever had a good gray fruit? I, I, I just don't eat grapefruit. I wouldn't advise eating grapefruit, okay? I, I think that's gone bad. You could do better, right? And what we realize is um, this is in regards to color or those who radiate the gospel, who are pleasant to be around. I think Jesus was pleasant to be around. I think even Paul was pleasant to be around. They radiate the glory of God. Just as Hebrews chapter one says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So it should be about people who we allow to speak into our lives. They should be bright. They should realize that this is for their life just as much as it's for your life. 
okay? Not plastic. It should be bright. Number three, they should be sweet. Now, don't tell anybody I do this, okay? But sometimes when I'm in the fruit aisle, I may or may not eat a grape, right? Because I got to know, are they good or are they not good? There's nothing worse than the smallest grape at the bottom of the grape pile. Amen? Anyone? You're going to leave me out here to dry. You know what I'm talking about. It's when you're not looking because you're scrolling through your social media feed and you take that grape and put it in your mouth and you go, oh, man, that is from the devil, right? <laughs> we just know that it's not sour. Now, some of you guys eat grapefruit, and that's between you and Jesus, okay? So that is not a good illustration. And if you eat grapefruit, my dad loves grapefruit. Um, I just think it's the nastiest thing in the world. Like that, that fruit can stay in the fruit aisle, all right? I think that was the fruit that Eve ate, but that's another <laughs> sermon for another day, all right? Now, Proverbs talks about this over and over again, specifically not in a fruit. It talks about it with honey, but it's got the same kind of appeal to it. It talks about how um, faithful are the wounds of, of a friend, talks about how, how it's, it's sweet to be able, to, be able uh, to have that hard conversation with somebody. It's sweet when somebody uh, communicates the words of God to you. You know, it's like when you read that passage of scripture in context and, you, and it just kinda, it's just kind of like cool water on a hot day. It's so refreshing. That's how the word of God should be. That's how good fruit should be. That's how people should communicate to you. It should be sweet, man. It shouldn't be sour. Okay, not plastic, bright, sweet, four. It should have reached full maturity. There is nothing worse than cracking open into a watermelon that has not reached full maturity because I'm just disappointed, right? I open that thing up and I think to myself, this is gonna take five minutes instead of 15 minutes to eat. And that's, that's just sad. Watermelon should take a long time, all right? It should be a joyous occasion. It should be full grown. It should be not new, all right? The people do this with avocados all the time. And if you want to help me out with this, I don't know how to pick avocados. I don't know how to pick avocados. But people, I watch them in the fruit aisle, and they like pick one up, and they're like. <laughs> and I just want to look at them in that moment and be like, I feel your pain. I, I feel your pain. Now, some of you know how to pick avocados, okay? We understand that. You are skilled. Put it on your Facebook page, your social media, your Instagram account. Share the wealth, okay? Like, we need to know and understand this. But what we realize is we've all picked fruit that hasn't, had time to ripen. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, having been firmly rooted, now being built up to him, established in your faith. That is what good fruit is all about. It is good to receive fruit from somebody who is fully matured, somebody who has more experience, somebody who has had time to mature. I get really nervous when somebody has a message from God and it's new. You ever, you ever hear that? hey, I, talk, I heard this pastor the other day and he was preaching this new thing. I'm like, there is nothing new under the sun. You realize the Bible's like old, old, old. And those concepts are old because Christianity, scratch that, being a believer isn't flashy. There's nothing flashy about it. It's a consistent walk, not a flashy walk. So when those messages start to pour in and they're flashy or they appear new, I get really, really nervous. Good fruit, not plastic, bright, sweet, reach full maturity. Now, here's the hard thing. It should be a little firm, well-balanced. Man, it's funny. My parents are here. They used to say this to me all the time. They would say, Jordan, balance, balance, balance. My dad would say it. My mom would nod her head. Okay? Balance. You got to balance yourself. So it's not that squishy fruit, right? There's nothing worse than picking up a fruit and it just like disintegrates in your hand. Cantaloupe's like that, right? You ever picked up a cantaloupe and you're like, not buying this one. 
this is bad cantaloupe. And then you pick up another cantaloupe and it's too firm, right? It's kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This one was a little bit too much. This one was a little bit too less. That balance is good. Now, here's why I say you should be okay with somebody who is firm. Because they are going to affirm that Jesus' way is not always easy. You should be okay when somebody is talking to you about parameters in your life. And they're saying the hard things to you. They're not saying the easy things to you. They're saying the difficult things to you. They're saying the things that you need to hear, not that you want to hear. When somebody tells me what I want to hear instead of what I need to hear, I get really nervous. Because in the back of my mind, I think, are we really truly friends or not? I have a dear friend and mentor. He told me a a long time ago when we first started uh, sitting down talking about Jesus, he said, if I wound you, can we still be friends? It's a good question. It's a good question. Because they're a little firm. And people who are a little firm are okay. As a matter of fact, you need some people in your life that have good, firm fruit, who are well-balanced. So two questions as we close today. Number one, what kind of fruit are you eating and what kind of fruit are you giving? Okay, so there's twofold kind of application here to the text. What are you receiving and what are you giving? Okay, take a moment and think about that. Evaluate it, examine it. What am I allowing into my eyes and my ears? What am I participating with my hands and my feet? And think about it too as well. What am I saying with my mouth and what am I Uh, communicating to people? What are my outcomes in my life? If I were to take assessment and evaluate my life, do I really see any outcomes? Is there anything real good fruit that manifests out of that? Or am I deceiving myself? You study God's word, you pray, and you ponder. And understand that persistence and patience are key in finding the right fruit. There is nothing wrong with being slow. Last time I checked, when I read the story to my little girls, the turtle won the race, not the hare. And we realize that persistence and patience are key in seeing good fruit from bad fruit. That is God's desire for you from Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your truth. And uh, we have to evaluate this. We have to think about it in regards to our own life, not only what we are receiving, but also what we are giving. Are we consuming good fruit or are we consuming bad fruit? We need to uh, evaluate our friends and the, and the people that we allow to speak into our life. And then we need to evaluate um, what we speak into another's life. And we need to make sure that in all things, um, we are striving to be like your son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. That all that we think, say, and do would be honoring and glorifying to you. And that we would love our neighbors the way that you loved us. That anybody who has a need that we are able to meet, we are doing so unselfishly and unsacrificially, or excuse me, sacrificially. God, would you help us? We, we can't do this on our own. We know that that's true. And so we ask uh, in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior, who gives the Holy Spirit a, con- a teacher, one who convicts, one who guides, one who helps, one who encourages, We pray that you would help us to listen and to be still and continue the walk, as Paul says in Ephesians, so that um, not only what we see, but what we do would be honoring to you. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. 
If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.